Oh yeah, college football in full effect here. Week two is in the books. I'm Yogi Roth. Welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure alongside producer Michael Molinari. Every week in the Pac-12 footprint, we all travel to a different game to broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. And every Monday, we come back together for a conference call of sorts, a production call, if you will, for this podcast, where we truly believe it is one-stop listening for the best insight into Pac-12 football. I love it. Week two in the books. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of stories. It was a late Saturday night. And I'm curious, Ted, for you, as we welcome back you and Michael to the show, what was your Saturday night like, man? Oh, man. Hi, guys. Look, this was a a week of mixed emotions to me for the conference. We had some big winners without quite. I mean, the Colorado, fabulous USC. We'll get more into the quarterback story. Cal playing into Sunday morning in a bizarre thing. How the heck were we not there, by the way? How was there a game? Molinari, by the way, this is your department, okay? Molinari is the Eric Clapton of our crew. He does his best work after midnight. <laughs> there they were in Seattle playing till one thirty in the morning. Michael, we weren't there. I, I was sitting on my couch. I had two, uh, two windows open, one with the Fox broadcast there, and then <laughs> one with the uh, Facebook from Hawaii with uh, Oregon State. It was exciting flipping back and forth. Yeah, and, and I guess, and Yog, that's the other part to me. That was, it was tough. It's a tough week. It's a tough week for the Beavers. They go across to Hawaii and have a shot to win and don't. And look, we were, all of us were on hand. It's really tough right now for Chip Kelly in UCLA. And to have that happen in their first home game uh, at San Diego State and in a market like Los Angeles, you're going you're gonna to get the heat. UCLA has it. And you think, okay, where's my get well week? You can't look, you can't look and see one right now for the Bruins. No, I mean, you look ahead at their schedule and – Obviously, Oklahoma, as you're referencing, then at Washington State, night game at Arizona, Khalil Tate. He got well over the weekend. They obviously went off in their win. And then comes Oregon State, which we'll see kind of what happens in that ball game. And Jake Luton's been able to move the ball. So I don't know. My, my big takeaways from week one, guys, were what a fun time to sit home and watch games at two in the morning. Like I was with my wife, Amy, and it's two in the morning. There's about 15 seconds left in the Cal UW game. And she's like, I can't believe you're making me stay up and watch this. This is why I don't want to watch football because I'm addicted to it now. And I thought, ah, I got her. This is perfect. Like she's dialed in right now. You know what? Tell Amy how much I'm impressed by that. Because I just celebrated my 38th anniversary on Thursday, and my wife stayed up with me. I kept telling her, what do you think? I mean, you're way too smart to do this. And then she looked at me. She goes, of course, I've been married to you for 38 years. You're telling me I'm smart? <laughs> oh, I love Melanie, it. Melanie fast asleep, by the way, at that hour. <laughs> well, oh, I love it, man. All right, so let's, let's get to our four downs. For those just tuning into this podcast and subscribing, we've got a – production schedule for this thing. We're going to give you four downs, our four big takeaways from the week, bounce them around, and then dive into our all 22 thought of the week and the humanity moment of the week, something that reminds us that the people underneath the armor and the helmet are actually human beings. So that being said, Ted, I'm going to give you my first down, and I got to start with Keaton Slovis and the USC Trojans. There's tons to talk about. First and foremost, the kid, as a true freshman at the Coliseum, he went off. I mean, he went off not just statistically 28 to 33, 377 yards, three touchdowns, but I thought his presence, his awareness of when Stanford was bringing pressure, when to get the ball out, where to put the ball on time, 
And when they're down 17-7, 20-10, he didn't flinch. And, and I haven't seen a true freshman at USC do that. You know, Matt Barkley played well on the road against Ohio State. I think it was his first road start. Led him on a game-winning drive. But Keaton Slovis and all the pressure and him not being a big-time recruit, I was so impressed with how he just dealt with the moment. I'm curious for you guys what you saw when you watched this young man deal. Yeah, you know, Yogi, it's funny you said Matt Barkley. I thought the same thing, and I was watching, uh, I was flying home. I watched the first half in the Burbank Airport, by the way, and I got home for the, uh, for the fourth quarter, and I said that to my wife again. We were watching, and I said, we were at Notre Dame Stadium 10 years ago when Matt Barkley, as a true freshman, won at Notre Dame Stadium. And that was what struck me, is exactly what I thought of. Was, Here's a true freshman coming in against a Notre Dame program that was still pretty good back then, and, and, and Matt Barkley won. But I'll, I'll tell you, this steps in a little bit into maybe the All-22 we're going to get into, but I watched this, and I looked at two quarterbacks playing their first, starting their first games. And, and you know, Davis Mills at Stanford, extremely highly recruited. David Shaw promised we won't change our offense. It didn't look to me like they changed their offense at all for him, but I thought the one difference, and it's a great compliment to Keaton Slovis, his accuracy, his consistent accuracy was phenomenal. First touchdown pass he throws to St. Brown. Beautiful ball, drops it right in the bucket. I mean, that's a big-time throw because it was distance with touch. Then he makes a sideline throw that Vaughn's makes a spectacular catch on. That's, that's a pro throw. I mean, that's a big-time pro throw. But, Yogi, you, the receiver, appreciate this. How many times Slovis consistently put the ball in a place where the receiver could catch it and then run. And if there was one difference between him and Mills, Mills to me consistently, he wasn't as consistent as he'll want to be at doing that for his receivers. Yeah, I'm curious, Michael, for you, when you watched it, did you watch a guy who, because in, in Keen Slovis's offense, he has 12 plays, literally. That, that's what he has. And he's got mastery on those 12 plays. Where Davis Mills, their playbook clearly is more NFL-esque, at least in an old school format, West Coast offense, a lot of verbiage. When you watch it as the producer, did you see a guy that was clearly seeing and reading the defense based on just the, the – he doesn't have an enormous playbook to learn from? Well, I mean, you look at the results and as uh, – it's the mastery of those 12 plays and making the right decisions. I mean, we always talk about how simple the air raid is. It's simple when you're making the right decisions. And it just seemed like time and time again, every single time he made the right decision. And uh, he looked, he did not look like a true freshman, that's for sure. Hey, hey, but here, so you made that great point about the air raid. How about this? Let's get a pop in for Gardner Minshew, right? Extraordinary story. But what did Gardner Minshew do when he went into his game yesterday for Jacksonville? He was accurate, mm -hmm. right? I and mean, he was, he just, nothing was deep down the field. Nothing was over crazy challenging, but he threw the ball on the money where it was supposed to be, which is what we saw Minshew do last year, right? When he got to Pullman. And this guy was crazy accurate. And that's to me, so Slovis going into that same or very similar, I assume, you know, air raid system, that to me was what jumped out. You, you know, I'm a big, guy on accuracy for a quarterback and that was the mastery and the poise and the presence all those things but when you throw the ball where it's supposed to be thrown 95 percent of the time boy you saw the results for usc 
Yeah, I'll tell you, I went as a, I can remember years ago, I was watching film with Trent Dilfer when he was living in Northern California. And we put on a bunch of Aaron Rodgers tape, we're in his house. And the conversation was around, there's no defense for a perfect throw. And you look at Keaton Slovis, three-star recruit, Oregon State, USC, were his only Power 5 offers, let alone Pac-12 offers, coached by Kurt Warner. And I can remember being with Kurt Warner at the Super Bowl, and I said, tell me about this guy, because it was right after signing day, and he was a mid-year enrollee. And he goes, you know, I've never been around a young quarterback who kept asking to teach me more, teach me more, teach me more. And you saw that with this kid, and then you add in the natural accuracy, Ted, that you referenced, and it doesn't matter, five stars, hype around recruiting, does he have one of the top 10 high schools in the country, right? You think about modern day, St. John Bosco, at least here in Southern California, De La Salle near you. Like he didn't go to one of those schools. He can just complete the ball. And I think there's something when you look at like Tony Romo, right? I'll remember this story and you'll love this. Tony Romo met with uh, the Elite 11 quarterbacks a couple years ago in Dallas. And he said he grew up obviously in a snowy area in the Midwest. And he said he sat in his basement a lot and just threw the ball at pillows thousands of times all over his couch trying to hit different corners of the pillow just to be that accurate and when i heard kurt warner talk about slovis and how he just kept asking to go to work different types of throws different types of offenses understanding defenses you just said wow with that accuracy and that acumen he's got a chance to play and I think what it's going to do is going to flip a lot of people's conversations around the position and around a hype that's built up around so many high school quarterbacks now. And just reminding them that the Minshew, the Slovis is the accurate guys is really paramount over all the other intangibles, I think, at times. And I'll tell you something else I thought about, guys. And this strikes for both of, uh, for all three of us because we were uh, we, we saw this week one. I'll tell you something else I thought of as I'm watching the fourth quarter of the USC game Saturday night. Wait a second. Let's think about this. Highly recruited stud quarterback goes into a big-time school, starts every game as a freshman, gets hurt in his first game of his sophomore year. New freshman quarterback comes in and never loses the job. Yeah. Who does that remind you of? I'm Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm. That's a great call. That's a great call. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm watching Slovis play Saturday night, I'm thinking, is this Jake Fromm? I mean, it's the same thing, right? Jacob Eason played every game as a freshman, just like JT Daniels did at USC. Eason got hurt first game sophomore year. Jake Fromm comes in as a freshman and never lost the job. Yeah. That'll be a heck of a battle next, uh, next offseason, that's for sure, or it looks like to be. Well, yeah, that's the question. <laughs> because Keaton Slovis has the opportunity to not make it a battle, right? I mean, that's what Jake Fromm did. Jake Fromm played so well, there was no battle. And... Jacob Eason is now the starting quarterback in Washington as a result. So I, I, these are things that we do in our business. But that's i got to be honest, that's a thought that I had watching this game. This kid looked off one game, looked that good. And, and, and the other thing that struck me, guys, how many times did USC throw the ball and challenge Paulson Adebo? Yeah. That really struck me. I mean, you, you, you think when a guy who is as good as Adebo, you're going the other side of the field. And I, at least to me, it felt like USC didn't shy away from throwing the ball wherever, not targeting him, I'm not saying that, but they weren't shying away from throwing the ball if Adebo was the cup. Well, I'll tell you, Ted, I can remember when we were there in spring ball and talking to Graham Harrell, their offensive coordinator, he was very clear about what him and the new coach, I think they have six new members of the coaching staff, including the strength and conditioning coach. And they said they had to remind the offense specifically, like, this is what the country thinks of USC offense. 
And they had to kind of re-engage some confidence in them and say, we need to be the most, quote unquote, most exciting team on the field. And I'm not saying Stanford wasn't excited, but the point being on the practice field, when you watch SC train since the spring, through training camp, through game practices, they play with a lot of juice and they play and they're trying to recapture a little bit of a swagger and not one that's BS that we've seen in the past, like when they were playing Alabama and guys were on their hands and knees running out of the tunnel, barking. And that was that was that was crazy, in my opinion. But of like a real confidence of like, yeah, dude, we got athletes. I mean, they got eight receivers. Like you could look at the UCLA game that we watched and granted they were out with their top receiver. But I think you could look at SC's first four to six receivers and say they'd be the number one receiver right now for UCLA. I mean, they're that talented and they're exuding that confidence now because of Graham Carroll and the way he's calling the game. And I have, you know, you read the quotes in the LA Times, the way Drake Jackson or the way the receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown talked about Keaton Slovis, you felt he ignited them. You know, I'm sure they were wondering, like all of us, who is this guy going to be? And bam, he balls it in the fashion that he does. And to me, my favorite image from Saturday night, guys, was on Instagram, Keaton Slovis, he's got the sword and he's standing on the ladder directing the band. His second game ever in his life in college, starting for the Trojans. I mean, how, how cool is it for that young man, man? Yeah, I, and Yogi, I, I felt the same way as you. That's why I started thinking about this Jake Fromm thing was because when I, when I read those same comments, when the players are talking that way, now I understand they have to be behind Slovis because he's their guy for the rest of the year. But still to be out front like that after one game, it's pretty clear Slovis has, has made an impact, not just on the field, but he's made an impact in the locker room. Yeah, I love it. All right, so Michael, before we get to our second down, curious, what do you recognize? Because you're, you're obviously in the truck producing all of our games. You produce a ton of football games, NBA games, every sport in your career. What can you tell from the body language of when somebody comes in where people are kind of curious about what he's going to do, hesitant to maybe say, yeah, he's a stud, and then watch him take over the reins as the game goes on? Well, I think, uh, I think you keep that camera on him as much as possible. As I think I mentioned last, last week, that's the way you do it. You make him be the story as long as you can. And I, you could tell watching that game that uh, it seemed like that's what they were attempting to do in that show. It was all about Slovis. Keep the camera on him. Watch his eyes, get those XCUs, extreme close-ups, so you can really see into those eyes. And it looked like he had confidence. I wanted to, I wanted to jump back to one thing, though. He conducted the band. There's a rumor he's an accomplished tuba player. I was doing a little research. <laughs> so I'm hoping if uh, Tim, Tim is listening from USC, I'm going to bring in a tuba when we have them and see if uh, that is actually true. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, I love you, man. All right, so let's move on to second down. Um, I think we got to talk Cal. We got to talk Evan Weaver. 18 tackles. First snap of the game, the guy goes off. And the second year in a row, Justin Wilcox, the protege of Chris Peterson, when you go back to the Boise State days when he was his defensive coordinator, coming off the Cal staff as a linebacker coach, goes to Seattle where he used to be a D coordinator and beats Chris Peterson. That was the most surprising moment of the week for me. It was a surprising game. Ted, what did you think when all of a sudden you saw a delay and then watch that game unfold? Wow. I mean, look, we knew Cal's defense was good, and Washington knew from last year. But I, I guys, I, and maybe it was, a, I think it's just human reaction because we had just all come from watching the UCLA-San Diego State game live, and then I watched... Cal and Washington, albeit on television, but the defense stood out. The tackling, the level of the tackling, 
the cover, which we all know how strong Cal's secondary is. Um, and for Jacob Eason and for the Washington offense, it was clearly a step up from what they had, what they had seen in week one. Um, they played a top-level Pac-12 defense, and life was a lot tougher for them. And we also saw that, uh, I mean, there are a couple of, we always talk about this, there's a couple of plays in the game that if you make, Aaron Fuller made these two spectacular catches against Eastern Washington, marvelous catches. And then he had two equally tough drops, right? I mean, one near the end of the game that may have swung the game. If he makes that catch on a third down on a ball over the middle, you dub, yeah, their win probability in that in the metrics era probably jumps way up. So there's week one to week two, right? How the, the results differ so dramatically. And is it the level of the defense that you're playing against that contributes to that? Michael, what happens when lightning like that goes on? Because I went right to Twitter as I saw delay just to see what's going on. I, I've never seen anything like that. I've been in a couple like that. And the number one thing you hope is you have a functioning and working studio because that's what Fox did and that's what we do, um, which is get people information, which essentially I think was if there's not a strike for 30 minutes, then we're going to resume. But every time there was a strike, that 30-minute clock resets. So they spent a lot of time in the studio, and I'll, I'll give the Fox studio credit. They were ready to go. And obviously on a football Saturday, that's as good as you can have with highlights and everything else. So, um, But basically, you go to the studio. You keep everybody updated. I mean, you get your crew out of harm's way. I mean, and then you try to work your reporters or your announcers to try to get the accurate information and then... You know, try to keep everybody up because eventually you're going to come back and play. And, uh, you know, watching at one in the morning, I thought that crew did a great job. You wouldn't have known that they had been sitting around for eight, nine, 10, 11 hours. Um, they were right with it. I was impressed. I wanted to say one other thing was Evan Weaver. If if you're doing a Cal game, you better have a camera on Evan Weaver at all times because yeah, he is absolutely exactly. unbelievable all over the place. The pursuit um, quite quite a sight to see and i think it'd be great to follow him on replays and everything else he's amazing so molinari how long will it be before some really <laughs> brilliant television executive like yourself comes up with the idea why don't we just have midnight kickoffs hey it worked in seattle it was great <laughs> you know what it's i'm not sure if 9 a.m or midnight's going to be first we will see <laughs> oh man hey so let me jump in here because we we i think Guys, we understand how, just off what we've done already, you get the idea how important USC is to the Pac-12 football conference, right? <laughs> okay. So now let's say the other one, and the one that jumped out to me was Colorado. Only new coach in the conference this year. Um, look, Nebraska was way overblown. I mean, Nebraska's 4-8 and eight last year. Somehow they were ranked. Their players talked like they won the Big Ten championship last year. So put all that aside, it's still Nebraska. And Colorado got their butt kicked in the first half, right? I mean, they were crushed. And they came out in the second half, and to me the best part was they didn't act like they'd been crushed in the first half. They played. And their defense made some stops in the third quarter. It allowed the offense some time to get going. And eventually Montez did, and he finds his speed receivers outside, uh, mixed in enough running with their new running backs. And, my gosh, that's a great win. And, guys, the last part to me, watch the end of the game. And the kids run on them, and we don't want there to be safety issues. But the enthusiasm to see the Colorado fans who were outnumbered in their own stadium, as is always the case with Nebraska, but the fans that were there running on the field and being enthusiastic about football in our conference, 
we need to see that. Yeah, I always think that for first-year head coaches, like a signature win early in September is so critical because you're just reminding your players what we've preached and their phrase and on the wristband it says relentless is just to play with relentless effort and you're right Ted 17 nil at halftime and they killed themselves turnovers bad penalties and then to come out and even in the fourth quarter they're still down and this start to methodically make the run it's the flea flicker and then they get a turnover and, and before you know it they're in overtime and they win the ball game. And, and you talked about the end of the game and people run out of the field. I just got done watching that this morning and it's the smile on Mel Tucker's face. Amen. It, it was awesome, man. And this team, and I don't, I, Michael, I'd be curious if you agree. I really think in college football, okay, for the teams like 20 through 40, if you're going to rank them, it's 75% effort versus 75% talent. If you play hard, you got a chance to be in every game. I don't think they've got defensively first-round talent or any of that stuff, but they play their tails off on defense. I saw them run into the football, and that to me was a huge reason why they won that ball game. I think, first of all, the wildest fourth quarter I've seen since uh, the Hill Mary game, Cal, Arizona, which was the craziest fourth quarter I've ever seen, but that, that rivaled it uh, up in uh, Boulder. And I think if Yogi, I think if you can point, they're going to be able to point to this game all season and say, hey, we're never out of it. Look what happened against Nebraska. And I think that's going to help them always have that effort. And I think Mel Tucker is an incredible addition to our conference. And, and let me jump on that, Michael, and echo, because I'll, I'll admit this. I have a soft spot. I'm going to root for Mel Tucker because of one thing. He's a defensive coach. Hmm. And we're in an era in football when 30-year-old whiz-bangs who can draw plays as if it was Madden uh, are getting head coaching jobs. And that's the, that's the era we are in right now, both college and pro. So here's a grizzled defensive guy, right, who earned his chops working under really good coaches, who has pro experience that I think is valuable. Uh, and he got a shot at a big Power 5 program. I think it's great because it goes against the grain. So for Colorado, they took a shot. They gave this guy his first chance to run a program. I'm, I'm secretly going to root for him. Yeah. I guess it's not so secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good theme when you think about Justin Wilcox, defensive guy, first head yes. coaching job. Good call, Yogi. Right. You know. All right. So it's our fourth fourth down because we're going to give you 30 minutes or less every single week. Um, I think we got to talk. When we talk about college football, we talk about this conference, it's, it's obvious. We talk about freshman quarterbacks. Ted, I thought it was great when you asked Chip Kelly about freshman quarterbacks this week, and his response to me was, was one I didn't expect. I'm curious what he said. Did it surprise you if you could share what you learned from that? Well, you know, I think we've, we've touched on this before with the transfer situation where it is in college football. Um, that, And I think we used the quote last week, one-third – of the four and five star rated quarterbacks out of the class of 2017 have already transferred chip who is extremely smart and has all of these facts at his fingertips expounded on that i think he had the number for the last five years and said he thinks it will continue that way and largely because of the mindset that involves you know parents and big time athletic families who have expectations of kids if you go to a school in your first year and it doesn't work out the way you want, as Chip said, we take your ball and go home. And that's just reality. Um, I, I happen to agree with that 100%. And that's why I, I it's an, an aside to another quarterback in our conference. I'm so anxious when we finally get a chance to see Anthony Gordon live. Because here's a kid, he hasn't been at Washington State five years, but this is his last, in essence, his fifth year um, of eligibility. And he stuck it out there. 
and he beat out a grad transfer to win the job this year. And I'll tip my cap to, to a young guy that's done that because we, I'm not sure how often we'll see that going forward in college football. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the stat that Chip gave us, I wrote it down because I was like, I, I got to check this one. He said 11 of the last 19 five-star quarterbacks have transferred. Yeah. And depending on which recruiting service that's accurate you want to use, because um, there's a million of them now that some say four, some say five stars. And and you're right. And I think even when we look to the NFL, right? And Ted, you've been around that league for a long time. Well, who does Bill Belichick and why does he like to draft seniors? Because they've been there. They played. You know, like he wants guys like Anthony Gordon. Are we surprised Garner Minshew? Well, everything he's been through, as you referenced earlier, balled out. And it's, it's going to be fun to to see what happens if guys start continue to bail which i think they will and enter the vaunted portal or some say you know what maybe i'll stick around and develop my skill set and when i play i rip it versus play and struggle yeah and i the other thing i think we have to acknowledge here is that if you look at the nfl you look at belichick he drafted a quarterback a few years back named jimmy garoppolo out of eastern illinois right the only human being we'd ever heard of who had gone there was tony romo yeah and I think kids today see that. They say, I don't need to play at Alabama. If I'm a quarterback, I don't need to play at Alabama to be in the NFL. I just need to play. And I can play at an FCS school, what we used to call 1AA. But if I play and show my skill set, I'll get a look. Joe Flacco, right, transferred out of your school, Yogi, and went to Delaware. Yeah. He played, and he got a shot, and he wound up winning a Super Bowl. So I'm just saying, I think kids today see that. Is, as far as translating to the pros, and to me that is a big factor into what I believe will continue, is that you're not going to be able, and this is the conversation we had a little bit with Chris Peterson last week at Washington, is the days of stockpiling four quarterbacks and throwing them out there and having them compete, which is a great football word, I'm not sure that's realistic anymore. Yeah, totally agree with that. Okay, so every week we have the humanity moment of the week. Michael. This is, this is your baby, man. What, what lights you up from the human beings underneath the helmets, headsets, et cetera, that we've seen in college football? Well, Sean Ryan, which Lewis Johnson did a nice job covering in our Beyond the Hash Marks, which is kind of our ode to humanity each week, um, covered the fact that he played rugby and threw the shot and surfed as a kid. Um, but what I liked even more, and we got into it a little bit, no social media. His parents, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) His parents, Steve and Maria, are the anti-helicopter parents. And as a a man with a teenage daughter, I run into a lot of those helicopter parents that want to run the kids' lives. And Steve and Maria basically said, Sean makes his own decisions. If he wants to play football, he can. Where he wants to go to school, that's up to him. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of parents out there um, that I know, maybe myself included at times. So that was the one thing uh, on last week's game. Cameron Williams is going to have a great, we're going to have a great story on him at Washington next week. I won't spoil it, but uh, quite an interesting uh, off the field for him. And then the other note was watching the uh, Hawaii-Oregon State game on Facebook. Robert and Rich, the guys in the booth, reminded me of being eight years old in Oneonta, New York, listening to WPIX and Phil Rizzuto on the Yankees. It was, it was pure, relaxed, fun, and just brought me back to an era where maybe we weren't quite as serious on television, but in a really good way. <laughs> so here's my question for the both of you. So I got home Saturday night, 
And I tried to pull up on my iPad, I tried to pull up this streaming of whatever it was of the game. And every time I hit a link, I got sent to sign up for some account. I got asked at one point to sign up for a Nigerian bank account in order to access the game. Where, why did I, how did Ted, you guys pull this off? Clear your cookies, Ted, clear your cookies. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, I know, I understand that, I guess, we're in the streaming era. I mean, I look, I have Netflix and Amazon Prime. I can figure that out. Every time I tried to find this game, every time I clicked on a link, I was being asked to sign up for something. Yogi and I will send you a link next time, we promise. A direct link for you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, was, I was so frustrated. And, I was, and I, now I'm glad because I was frustrated, obviously, for Jonathan Smith that they didn't get that win, which means this week we're going to see Hawaii try to sweep the pack. That's crazy. Crazy. They got the most Pac-12 wins, right, out of anybody in the Pac-12. They're 2-0. and It's it's amazing. And Nick Rolovich, how much fun is this going to be? And I think, I think we'd all agree. I'd be curious. But if we could go back and play wide receiver, quarterback, whatever it was, I think what Nick Rolovich is doing at Hawaii would be the offense we'd all sign up for. Because, man, it looks like a blast when you watch those guys run around. So what is it? What, compare it to anything we see in the conference. It's hard, to be quite honest. It's elements of Utah last year, except they've got a quarterback who's much different than Tyler Huntley. So the best comparison would be the Houston Oilers, right? We just went uh, Phil Rizzuto and Yankees old school. Go Houston Oilers old school and think of... uh, just the, the gifted receivers, Haywood Jeffries and company from back in the day. It's a run-and-shoot offense. Ted, you saw a little bit of it when Walt Harris was at Stanford. I played in this offense. And f- quite simply, the receiver gets to make a decision on every route. So if the cornerback is outside of him, taking away anything deep, he can break it inside. If the cornerback is on top of him, like 20 yards off, he can hook it up and run a little hitch. So if, receivers run option routes, you said. Receivers have all the options, and the quarterback has to be on the same page so fundamentally you've got an answer for every defense and when it's really hard but when you're rolling this thing is incredibly difficult to stop so we look at UW which has one of the most gifted secondaries over the last five years in college football they've reloaded again but they also had some mistakes last week going up against Cole McDonald who is not afraid to take a chance at quarterback and Rolovich is obviously going to take chances as a play caller man I I think we've got you know sneaky game of the week in terms of best versus best in the Pac-12 conference this week keep your eye on Ward and Bird the receivers for Hawaii they're they've been phenomenal the first two games Okay, now what are we going to do with Robert and Rich this week, Michael? <laughs> I think they have the week off, but I, no, you know, why don't we have them come down and sit with us? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to look into that. Hey, by the way, this just in: uh, we on the 21st, Colorado, Arizona State is where we'll be. Ooh, nice. I assume that's a night game. Please, yes, sir. Tell me. Right, at 10 seven o'clock. September. That's good. I felt badly. I felt badly for, for the fans at the Rose Bowl. We were there Saturday, and of course, we're protected, but the fans, there's no cover or minimal cover at the Rose Bowl. And that's just, I hope as college football goes forward and fights this battle to get people to come to stadiums, asking people to sit out in 100 degree heat with no shade at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that's a tough ask. And I felt bad, felt bad for UCLA because they didn't have very much of a home, they really had no home field advantage. Yeah, that one this weekend is going to be interesting. You know, Oklahoma coming. Is it going to be more Oklahoma fans? They travel well. They love coming to the Rose Bowl. A couple years ago, they played in the actual Rose Bowl. So um, I'm excited to see Chip Kelly bounce it back because I still do think he's the right guy for the job. They're just so young, and they just got to get 
better on a bunch of fronts and you got 10 more games so a long time to see who this team is at the end of the year uh you know with oklahoma coming up this weekend and, and look guys we have two obviously two big road games this weekend the cougs get their first challenge they go to houston to play friday night and then asu has the repay game from last year they go to um, east lansing and that, that's that's you know anybody that's been to east lansing you know that's just not fun and that's going to be a tough ask again for ASU. <laughs> yeah, freshman quarterback, Jane Daniels. And yeah, my, my, exactly. My two, like, kind of under-the-radar games that the Pack can't lose, one is Cal in North Texas. North Texas has Mason Fine, right? That's a quarterback who played for Graham Harrell, who we've talked about on the show, the offensive coordinator at SC. Mm-hmm. He's a talented quarterback. And then Stanford, licking the wounds and going to Central Florida, which will be the most hostile environment they've seen all season long. In an early game, I believe, in the humidity and heat of Florida. Uh, it sounds like KJ Costello's back, but those two games I think are going to be big for the conference and the reputation of it. No, I, absolutely. And you're right about the Stanford one. You, you hope Costello can play. They're playing that. It's going to be, I think it's a th- either 3.30 or 4 o'clock kickoff in Orlando. Good. Um, they're has playing has the Cal time. gotten home from Seattle yet? That's my question. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How about that? Can you imagine what it would be like to be the ops director for Cal football when you're sitting there and thinking, are we going to finish the game by 3 a.m. and you have a plane sitting there? And Oh, man. that's uh, And look, this is the way of the world. I mean, we, we, we are going to see more and more. You don't expect to see it in Seattle, quite frankly, but more and more weather-related issues given the climate that we're seeing around the country. It may not affect the pack as much as it affects schools in the south. But uh, I think that's another thing that everybody in college football has to brace for. What I couldn't believe was I flipped on the Seahawks game yesterday. It was bright sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I mean, that was the bad roll of the dice as far as Cal and UW are concerned. And look, we're going to Seattle this weekend. So for UW, it's a a rebound game. And they know that they can't sleep on Hawaii given, given the number of points they've seen Hawaii put up in their first two games. Yeah, I agree, man. This one is going to be a blast. Speaking of a blast... I think this podcast is a blast. So kick it out to your friends. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we are there. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Hit up Michael, Ted, myself on social media. What do you want to hear about? Who do you want to hear from? Do you want us to have special guests come on in addition to the three of us that are going to be talking every single Monday? And how do you feel about Pac-12 football here in September? Respected, not respected? Who's your favorite? We want to hear all of those elements. So hit us up. And of course, areas that we can improve in as well as the Pac-12 football season continues on. Much love. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Time to prepare for week three Pac-12 football. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.